the most inspiring stories from today's most successful entrepreneurs. With Business Bootcamp Podcast and your host, Mike Andy. Hey everyone, before we get started, just needed to let you know a couple things. First off, super excited for today's episode. You'll find out why in a couple minutes. Just got back from Europe, was in Holland, Belgium, and Germany doing some speaking and things like that. Had a great time, but all the time I was there looking forward to today's episode. It is going to be special for me as well as you. Uh, Wanted to make a quick note though, there are some audio issues uh, with the microphones on this one. But I am sure that will be no problem. You're going to get so much out of today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everyone. This is Mike Andes on the Business Bootcamp Podcast. Good to have you all here today. I'm especially excited for today's episode because it's kind of a special moment for me. It's not often you get to have someone on the show that has actually taught you. And that's what we're doing today. Mike Cook is going to be coming on with us today. And before I introduce him, let's get him on the show. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Just fine, Mike. Glad to be here. Good, good. Mike is actually a professor of mine. And as most of you know, I am getting my MBA uh, in the evenings at the university. And Mike actually taught me a class on managing people. And let me go ahead and introduce Mike. He is managing people extraordinaire. For 27 years, he's been kind of working in that space. He's worked as a consultant, as a speaker, uh, of course, as a professor. And he's always been working on managing people, how to really engage people within an organization. And he's a blogger on heartofengagement.com. He's also authored a book called Thrive, Standing on Your Own Two Feet in a Borderless World. And Mike's really an educator of all sorts. He's done a TED Talk. I've heard that. Writes lots of articles and business publications. And you definitely want to check him out online. And we'll give uh, those resources on the show notes online. And, of course, that's at businessbootcamppodcast.com. But let's go ahead and get started. But today I want to do something a little different. And it's it's going to be kind of cool. Usually, as you guys know, we have a Q&A and then we have these interviews, but today I want to kind of mix that up. Online, we had a question come through and it really has a lot to do with employee engagement, uh, business relationships. And so I wanted to bring Mike on the show and before we actually kicked it off with the interview, I wanted to go over this question and hopefully Mike can shed some light on how this person can better develop these relationships within their business. And I think we can all learn something from it. So let me go ahead and read this question. It came through on the website. And then uh, if it's okay with you, Mike, you can help us through this one. All right. So this one came from a guy named Gilbert. And just for everyone out there, as you know, uh, you can uh, submit your question on www.businessbootcamp.com slash apply. And uh, if you have a question, we can always help you out on the show. So Gilbert wrote in. It's a bit of a lengthy question, but I'll read it all. He says, hi, I'm a co-founder of a small accounting firm in Florida. I started the business five years ago with my brother-in-law, who is also a CPA. Things were going fine for a while, but over the past year, he has become detached slash disinterested from the business. He comes to work late, doesn't pursue new business, etc. The problem is that we still split profits equally. I love the guy and want to make this work, but it is wearing on our relationship, the business, and our customers. What would you recommend doing to resolve the situation without creating undue friction and possibly dissolving the business relationship? So, 
I know this one, Mike, I didn't give this to you before the show, but uh, is there anything you can kind of give Gilbert that might help him out here? Well, uh, he, this is great. I mean, the, the question is great. The situation is even better um, because this is a classic small business question. Um, the friction between the owners and the owners have a have a relationship outside of the business. Uh, so you've got the family entanglement that goes along with it. Um, the, the part of the, the question that I really like is, is, is there any way to, to resolve this without undue friction and possibly dissolving the business? Uh, and, and the answer is, yeah, there's always the possibility of that. But I think in point of fact that you have to be prepared. Uh, if you really want to resolve this, you have to be prepared for the, uh, one outcome that you said you don't want, which is, uh, eventually maybe having to dissolve the business because that's, that may be what it, what it comes to. Um, Mike, you can, you may recall from the class that we took together, um, that one of the things that I s- repeatedly said that with people, um, there's no simple answer. There's no right answer. Uh, there's only what works. Yeah. Um, and this is another, another case of that. I, I think, um, with, with Gilbert, um, you know, certainly I would say one of the things that won't work is, is not doing anything and hoping this thing will clear up by itself because chances are real slim that that's going to happen. Um, but I think what you can do, um, is to take the, to begin, to begin with, this is going to take a conversation, um, and maybe several conversations, but, um, we, we find that with, with people, managing people always involves conversations with people. There's no way around it. Uh, and, and I don't, and I don't mean talking at people. I mean, talking with people. And in this case, I think he needs to sit down with his brother-in-law and just, uh, indicate to him that he's seen, um, these various symptoms of disengagement and, and be factual about it. Um, you know, here's what I've seen. And to me, these things, uh, indicate that you're, that you're disengaged. And, uh, unfortunately, what it means to me is this. And what I'd like to be able to do is have a conversation with you about what's going on. Uh, you know, is there anything, uh, is there anything of a personal nature that's distracting you from the business that I can help you with? Uh, is there anything I need to know about? Um, because, uh, if I can help, I would, I would be prepared to do that and whatever I can do, I will do. But what I won't do is continue to, to put up with, um, the disengagement from, from the business. So we, we have to work on this together. Now that's a, that's a pretty straightforward conversation in, in the way that I just explained it. Um, Gil, Gilbert may not want to be that straightforward, but eventually that's what it kind of has to come down to is, he has to address the situation uh, in in the context of their partnership and their relationship, and their partnership and their relationship involves uh, equal distribution of profits. Therefore, uh, it probably also involves equal um, equal share uh, in the in the workload. Those things that contribute to the future of the business. And right now, in his in his mind, at least in Gilbert's mind. Um, he does not see his brother-in-law pulling his weight. So uh, I, at, the, at the same time, I think Gilbert needs to be prepared to hear from his brother-in-law 
that his brother-in-law sees it differently, um, that he doesn't see it the same way. And uh, the only way this thing will get resolved is if Gilbert is willing to uh, take a look at the situation through the eyes of, of his brother-in-law. That does not necessarily mean agreeing with him. Uh, but what it does mean is at least giving him an opportunity uh, to ex to explain himself uh, in a way that he can account for the behavior that that Gilbert has has witnessed that is not uh, contributing to the to the business um, success. So I don't know is that is that enough of an answer, Mike? Yeah, that's good, Mike. But I, w I was wondering too because I don't know if Gilbert has other employees involved here. But what if what if he does come to Gilbert? I mean, to his co-founder, his brother-in-law, talks to him, and then there is kind of a pushback. But what if there's other employees involved here? How do how do you kind of keep it from getting awkward with other people involved? Well, that's a that is again a a really good question and a classic question for small businesses. Um, I may have I think I mentioned during class on several occasions that uh, I had. Uh, in the course of of my business ownership, I owned I owned a consulting practice for some just over twenty years, and I had a series of three three partners um, during the course of that twenty years. Um, and partners partnerships are are like any other kind of relationship; they have a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah. Um, and you have the the part everybody likes is the beginning and the middle and the part nobody likes is the end. <laughs> you know, especially especially if the end um and ends with uh without um without good feelings um or without good results. And I've had both. Um in Can you tell us about one of those? Well yeah yeah. I mean in my in the first in the first instance, my very first partner, uh the one we got going with the business, um he and I started the business. We got it up and running. We actually did a great job in terms of getting it off the ground, uh, getting it started. Um, and at, at a certain point, um, every small business, as it becomes more successful, also gets a little bit more complex and requires a little bit more professional management. And uh, at the point where our business uh, got to the time for a need for professional management, like bringing in uh, a manager from the outside, uh, it became clear that my original partner uh, was not interested in that kind of future. He, he kind of wanted to go back to uh, the just sort of we're a gang of, of folks having a great time um, way of running the business. And in my mind, it was too late for that because we had too many employees. We had uh, too many commitments. Um, we had too much responsibility to our employees, and we couldn't just go back to our very casual style. And so we agreed to we agreed to part ways. And he decided to start his own individual uh, uh, private practice. And and fortunately for us, we were able to remain friends at that point. Um, we reached a financial settlement and uh, took care of you know took care of that. Took care of him. And moved on, and I established uh, another partnership. Um, and and you know, I don't know if you want me to go through all three of them, but that's kind of it right now. Yeah, it's good. And I, we'll move on to the interview. But I hope Gilbert that kind of answers your question somewhat. 
I know there's a lot of different facets and ways to ha- tackle that problem, and it's not an easy one. I, I, I think the thing is that with any small business, uh, anybody that has a you know the idea that they're going to have a business, uh, and and they all almost all start small. Um, very few people, I think, are prepared for the level of interaction that is required with people in order to uh, be very successful. Um, and that that's the thing I think that I wish more business owners would take into account before they got started. Uh, you know, is are you prepared to be responsible for the level of interaction and relationship that you're going to need to have in order to have a really successful business? And, and if you're not, then go work for somebody else because um, it's a lot. It's a lot simpler. Um, you can probably make more money working for somebody else than you can for yourself. In fact, statistically, the evidence says that you know working for somebody else, you will make more money, um, but you won't have the degrees of freedom that you have with a small business. But with those degrees of freedom, also go that responsibility for managing exactly, the people. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and get the interview part started off. I know it's kind of backwards here, but go ahead and tell us kind of what your journey's been, Mike, and what has you fired up these days? I actually started out in a pretty traditional sort of career path working for um, a large um, organization, a Fortune, actually a Fortune 10 company. I worked for one of the major oil companies uh, coming out of graduate school. What type of work, what type of work you, were you doing over there, Mike? I was uh, I was involved in human resource management and uh, a variety of, of of different things and salary administration, benefits administration, recruiting and hiring, um, terminations, the whole gamut, the whole gamut of things. A lot of a lot of legal stuff, um, but the work you know the work itself was actually fairly easy and very straightforward, um, but the environment was was such that I, I felt more constrained um, than I had imagined I would. Um, and there w- wasn't enough real freedom for me to um, express myself uh, and, and uh, in, you know, sort of try out my ideas uh, as I would have liked to see. So I stayed for about eight years. And working for a large corporation, there's a lot, there's a lot that's enticing. Yeah. Uh, usually have a really good salary structure, usually have uh, good uh, promotional opportunities, advancement opportunities, usually have um, very good uh, benefits and, you know, and opportunities to accumulate wealth through their stock plan, that kind of thing. And so, you know, when you start to think about leaving an environment like that, um, you have have a great deal to think about uh, because you're going to introduce a lot of uncertainty into your life where the big corporation offers a lot of certainty. It may not offer a great deal of freedom, but it offers a lot of certainty and security. Um, I, anyway, after about eight years, I decided to move on um, because the kind of work that I wanted to do, I, I didn't really discover that um, the human resource field uh, was so heavily administrative uh, until I actually went to work in it. I had assumed wrongly that it was going to be more directly involved with um, with people and and the issues that people have at work. Uh, it turned out that that 
that wasn't the case. And the way that I was going to get involved in that at the time, and this was in the late 70s, at the time the way I was going to get involved in that was to go out and start my own consulting practice. Uh, so much to my surprise, that's what I did uh, because I'd never planned on owning my own business. Um, but I but I did that and I, I got started uh, on small projects um, working with uh, smaller businesses in helping business owners with performance issues um, related to their employees and then gradually graduated to larger company projects and um, and for the most part, that's what we did for the entire 20 years, um, that, that I was there. There were a lot of, there was a lot of, um, uh, sort of evolutionary, uh, work that went on from the standpoint of, um, adding in new offerings and new employees and, and uh, scope of work and so on. But it was always related to performance issues in the, in the organization, um, we didn't do strategy. We did execution, and um, that's where that's where most businesses have their issues anyway. Is is in day to day execution uh, of what it is and the and the eventual realization of the business owner's vision. So that's that's kind of what I did. And then, of course, recently, more recently, after I um, after I sold my interest in the business uh, about three years ago, I. Then subsequently started doing the teaching that I'm that I'm that has you know kind of brought us together there at Western. Yeah, Mike. So I'm going to jump back on you though. When you're at the the big company and you had kind of more of a steady steady job, as they call it, what what was like you make this jump? Was there a transition point there where you had already kind of gained some traction? Because I know like there's some people that are listening. They they have a corporate job or they have an eight to five. Uh, but then they're kind of looking to kind of express themselves in a different way, have more freedom. But what's the kind of the tipping point where they can jump? Like, wh- wh- when did that happen for you? Oh, you're looking for the nice, smooth transition. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Isn't that how it's supposed to happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, in my case, that's not the way it happened. <laughs> there was <laughs> the transition was anything but smooth. Um you know, I mean, I, I think you sort of get a sense of what you want to do while you're working in that secure environment. Um, you know, but there's uh, nothing nothing that teaches you as as quickly as urgency. Yeah. <laughs> the urgency of having to pay the bills and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, and uh, actually, you know, in the, in the case of my business, I, I will say this. Uh, there was one uh, help in terms of transitioning was that I was able to start the business, um, by having a small contract with, with my previous employer. And, uh, so there was, there was a certain amount of cash flow, uh, that we had at the start. Um, not all businesses are going to lend themselves to that. Um, in my case, because, because the business had performance issues and because I had some internal experience, with uh, dealing with performance issues uh, in the in the organization, there was some evidence that I might you know know what I was doing, and uh, and so I got a small contract to, to work with my previous employer, um, but that didn't take care of that didn't take care of generating new business, and and for the small business owner, generating new business is uh, the biggest hurdle that you've got to get over. Um, because chances are good if you're running a small business, 
so is everybody else running a small yeah. business, and they're all running a small business that's that's similar in nature to yours. Uh, there are very few businesses that are out there that are completely unique, uh, and so consequently, you're in a very very competitive environment, and you have to be prepared to go out and generate uh, and generate the interest in what it is that you have to offer. And that's something I think most business owners aren't, or most people who envision having a small business aren't necessarily prepared for. Yeah, and I think this is a great way to segue into our uh, the meat and potatoes of kind of what our interviews are about. As you know, we do the start, grow, and save kind of uh, analogy of uh, the business model. And so for someone that's starting a business, is there something specific uh, kind of leaning on your expertise that you would advise? Yeah, I think I would. I I mean, starting a new business obviously is not a unique experience. There are millions of small businesses that get started in this in this country and around the world every single day. Um, and uh, and you know the the success rate. Uh, anybody who's involved in in small business knows that the that if you get past the first five years, you're probably doing fine. Um, but the chances are that the first five years are going to be a, a bit of a slugfest. Um, and, you know, what I, what I would say first and foremost is make sure that, that, um, ha- that owning a small business is what you really want to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but more importantly, recognize that a small business is a means to an end. Um, it, the small business itself is not the point uh, that there, that the business itself is a vehicle for accomplishing something. And you want to be clear that owning a business for the sake of owning a business is the wrong reason to own a business. Definitely. Um, that you, you, the reason to own a small business is because it, it's a, a medium or a vehicle or a mechanism that allows you to accomplish something, and you need to be very clear about what that is that you want to accomplish. Um, you know, I think from, from a clarity standpoint, um, I don't remember if I mentioned this in class or not. I think I might have. Um, I always recommend uh, reading a book called The E-Myth. It's funny you mentioned that because we've mentioned that about twice already on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that book is, the, from the from my standpoint, I mean, if there's a Bible for small business, that's it. Yeah, um, and uh, it it certainly doesn't hold all the answers, but it does help you resolve the question of whether or not owning a small business is really the thing I need to be doing. Yeah, uh, rather than um, you know, rather than there's something I want to get done, and maybe there's a way I can do it in a different in a different way without the risk. Um, and make no mistake about it, not everybody has a tolerance for the risk of a small business. Definitely, and I think it's a good reality check that book too. Before, before people start the business, you know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, and I think so. It's like you know, and I, you have to be prepared. I, I think in reading the E Myth, you have to be prepared to find out that you were wrong. That yeah, that owning a small business is not what you should be doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's a that can be a, a bit of an ego deflator, you know. But still, it can save you years of of uh, stress and struggle. Yeah, and I like how you said like the first five years are going to be a pain. Cause, uh, but I'm at, I'm at year seven, so I made it past that. So, but we're getting there. Uh, so, so Mike, someone let's say someone started their business 
perhaps they've got past the five-year marker or things are going good, but now they're kind of looking to take that next step and really grow the business. Any advice for them? Well, I I think that what you what you want to do as you start to grow is again, uh, and and this is something you have to do stuff along the way is confront the reality that each time you make a decision to grow, you introduce more responsibility and more complexity uh, in into your organization. It isn't just more fun, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, because because each step along the way, uh, you are increasing the level of chaos that, that you have to deal with. And maybe you don't want to do that. Um, you know, uh, I think most small businesses, well, first of all, factually, most small businesses always are small businesses. They don't become large businesses. Uh, and there's a there's a variety of reasons for that. You know, some of it is the nature of the business itself. I mean, you may decide that what you want to do is um, open uh, a, a small uh, a small grocery store in a corner, and if that's the business you want to be in, a small business, a small grocery store in the corner is always going to be a small grocery store in the corner. And I, I think there's also a difference between um, owning a small business like. A franchise uh, and owning a small business like starting something from scratch and inventing all the process and all the rules and all the regulations um, that that have to go along with it. Now, you know, you you started a business from scratch. I started a business from scratch. Um, but even when you start a business from scratch, uh, you don't have to come up with all the answers by yourself. Um, part part of what I find is that. Even though small business owners uh, see themselves in many cases as competitors, they also understand the struggle and they respect the struggle that other small business owners go through. And and if you are are willing to humble yourself, uh, the, probably the most important thing you should go along is figure out what is the advice that you need and who it is that you can go to. Um, for, for the answers because the, the big struggle and the loneliness that comes from uh, owning a small business is thinking that you have to have all the answers yourself. Yeah, so like for something – for someone who's growing and let's say they are looking for employees, what's – is there kind of one sort of bit of advice or, or a tip you could give that – because I know – that's a huge part, especially when you have a small business and you have maybe a couple employees. Yeah. What's something you would kind of give someone who's looking at that? Well, I think you're, with a small business, um, you're going you're gonna to look for people who are very self-sufficient and don't need a lot of management Yeah, uh, because, because you're going to find that what you have in the very beginning is very little structure um, and, and certainly very little that's already been figured out. And so you're going to need to involve people in the business that uh, enjoy figuring things out. Uh, and coming up with methods and ways of accomplishing things and aren't necessarily the kind of people that come to work every day expecting to be told what to do. Exactly. Because, like, for me, I only have a few employees, but, like, I when, I, when you employ them, it's not like you want to become the babysitter. You don't want to become – that's your job, you know? It's kind of like you want to kind of give them independency, tell them their kind of guidelines, but really let them – you know, have independency themselves and figure it out themselves. Right. Well, if you if you spend all your time 
as the business owner, if you spend all your time supervising your employees, you're spending it on the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in point of fact, everything has a cost, and you can't afford supervision when you're a small business owner. Um, you know, that's something that large businesses can afford. Um, what you need is people who are, are independent and self-sufficient. Uh, and so, you know, what you want to bring on is people need as little guidance as possible and, and have a sense of, uh, what it means to be accountable. Yeah, that's good. And, and like, let's say though that someone doesn't hire the right people or somehow something happens in their company, whether it be, uh, within the organization or something within the marketplace and something goes really bad, they're going to have to either close the doors or their things are going looking down. How are they going to save their business, Mike? Is there any sort of advice you can kind of hand out there? Well, that's interesting because I went through, I went through that exact thing um, myself in, uh, in 2000, 2001, um, following the, the 9-11 attacks uh, and the change in sort of the overall business environment in America. Um, I lost about 90% of my business in one quarter. Um, and no business can sustain that. Um, you have to, you have to look at that and recognize that you're going to have to retrench. And I had to lay off, I had at the time 15 employees and I had to lay off everybody, uh, because, because our cash flow just, uh, went, didn't go to zero, but it certainly couldn't sustain 15 employees. What I had to do was to make a quick assessment of, um, who it is that I, I thought I wanted to keep um, at that point because I didn't want to restart the business. Uh, I didn't want to just, you know, go out of business. And, I mean, going out of business, I could have. That was an option um, at the time. But I wanted to restart the business. And when you think about that, you want to look around and, and go through your employees and, um, and determine in your own mind at least, you know, who are the ones who are going to be best at dealing with the uncertainty uh, and the stress that's going to accompany restarting the business. Because some of your employees, even when you get to 15 employees, um, they're not all startup people. Um, you know, at 15, you probably got some people who are just looking for steady employment. Uh, and, uh, those people are not going to be comfortable in that, in that, in that startup environment. Um, so I basically, what I did was I, I did kind of an unusual, Thing I've always had a great deal of confidence in my ability to generate revenue, um, and my some of my employees had been with me for ten years at that point. Um, I wanted to treat them as as well as possible because they they had done everything right. They had just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I mean, there wasn't anything that we did wrong, and there's really probably technically very very little that we could have done differently, uh, given the circumstances. Um, so I didn't realize, I didn't, I didn't look at the situation so much as a failure, uh, as sort of, as I did an intersection, um, and an intersection where we had to choose which direction we were going to go. Um, the, um, the, what I did was basically as I maxed out my credit line so that I could give my employees a severance, um, I, no business book would ever, no business book would ever encourage you to do what I did, no, yeah. uh, which is incur a lot of personal debt on behalf of these people. Hmm. Um, because I felt, 
I felt like I wanted to give them a running start on the future, and so I I gave everybody like three months severance, um, which you know, which was costly. But I felt in my own mind, uh, I felt like I could eventually cover the debt, and I was right. I, I you know, I did. Um, it took me a while, but uh, I also when I decided just to um, to restart the business when with the people with the five people out of the fifteen that I decided to uh, restart with. I let them know that they were going to have to share in helping me pay off the debt. Um, and in return for that, they would receive some equity in the business. And we were able to work, work through that in a, in a period of a couple of years. Yeah. I like how you kind of made that, uh, analogy or, or type between failure more as an intersection. And, and that's a good way to look at it because I know it's sometimes hard for people to get back up after a failure, uh, but it's also like at an intersection, you think about it like when you're driving, intersections is where all the accidents happen, right? It's not like on the highway or like when everything's going straight. It's at the intersections when there's change. And that's also when a lot of relationships and business relationships and employee and employer relationships, all that's, that's when it all comes together, right? And especially at that failing type of business. Well, in, yeah, in, in our case, I mean, when I, my, my employees were, you know, they got, Whenever there's uh, something that looks like failure, uh, some people have different ways psychologically of relating to it. Um, some people, um, some people have a very low tolerance for it, um, and in, the, in those cases, they they start second guessing, like, "Well, we should have done this, and we should have done that." And uh, what I the way I characterized it to my employees was exactly just like you're talking the intersection which is, you know, when we got to the intersection, the light was green. And so we proceeded uh, as though everything was just fine and a bus ran a red light. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's no way, and there's no way of predicting that, you know. All right, Mike, so that was great. Uh, Homestretch, though, what's your favorite quote and why? Let's wrap this thing up. This, uh, this quote is, is actually one that I had on my website for a long time. And it, it comes from a um, gentleman by the name of Matthew Fox. A little bit long, but uh, I'll read it anyway. Matthew Fox is a uh, former uh, priest, and, and I say former because he got himself in hot water with his employer. Um, and he started questioning as often as oftentimes will happen in large organizations, you start questioning what's going on, and sometimes you uh, become the guy who eats lunch by himself yeah. Um, yeah. because you become sort of radioactive. But in Matthew Fox's case, he did become radioactive, and eventually he was excommunicated from the church, but that didn't slow him down. And he's, he's become quite a prolific spiritual writer. Um, but this is, this is from a book I read about maybe 20 years ago on... Uh, developing yourself um, as sort of a spiritual warrior in the world. Um, a new opportunity has been given to us. Thou shalt love your life with all your strength and energy, growing daily in appreciation of the joys of life. And you shall allow and aid, where possible, your neighbor to love his and do the same, using common norms of justice to determine life's priorities. Live to make life livable, fighting when necessary, 
learning by whatever means possible, having a good time when you feel like it, respecting life's mysteries in an active, not a passive manner. In short, love life and do whatever you want. Uh, and that's from a book uh, called On Becoming a Magical, Musical, Mystical Bear. You, you shared you shared that in class, didn't you? Yes. I think yeah, I, I remember did. that. Yeah, yeah. I think I did. And uh, pretty much it's, it's sort of the way I try to live my life. Uh, and I, I think I put a big focus on making life livable for other people yeah. uh, and for myself. And, um, you know, in, in here he talks about fighting when necessary, uh, sort of, you know, really struggling against or fighting the good fight. And I, I think that's at, at a minimum what he's recommending is that we don't just we don't we don't just sit back and let life come to us, that we actually engage life. Uh, and see what we can do to make make it a better experience for ourselves and for everybody around us. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, Mike, before we wrap up, I want you—you you got twenty seconds, and I want you to share kind of what your most valuable insight is with our listeners. Well, <laughs> I know you only got twenty seconds though, so you know, keep it short. <laughs> yeah, most valuable insight uh, is to put more attention on being valuable uh, to other people then you are on creating value for yourself and you will have more prosperity than you had ever imagined. Awesome. Did you make that up? Yes, right then, just like that. Wow, that's like the, the next quotable quote on that show. I know, and I and I, <laughs> you can see inside my head it's a constant poem. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks so much. But before we, we, we say goodbye, uh, how can our listeners connect with you outside of just the show? Well, uh, if you go to... Uh, heartofengagement.com uh, you'll learn everything about me that you want to know that's my that's my blog site but it also has several pages related to the kind of service offerings that I'm involved with these days uh, and a little bit of background sort of a sort of a little bit of history on me um, and that's the best way that's the best way you, you can you know look for some of my things on LinkedIn because I publish uh, I, I have a, a post there at least once every two weeks, but I'd say heartofengagement.com is the place to find out the most about me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. And on behalf of all our listeners and Gilbert, especially from the beginning of the show, a uh, big thank you and I appreciate all your work. All right, Mike. Well, wow, that was fantastic. It was very special once again to connect with my professor, but I hope you guys as well got something out of it. Uh, we learned about how when you're starting a company, it's good to have a reality check. Mike mentioned the e-myth, and it seems like that's a recurring theme that keeps popping up on the show. So I encourage you to go read the e-myth, the book. It will give you a reality check and really tell you if you're cut out for this whole entrepreneurial stuff. Uh, also, when you are growing a company, we learn about how it's important to have self-sufficient employees, people that you aren't going to be babysitting because who wants to become an entrepreneur just to babysit a bunch of adults? Uh, it's a pain in the neck. Unless, of course, that's your business. So, so also for saving a business, we heard from Mike. During 9-11, he lost 90% of his business in just one quarter so it was great to hear someone who was able to pick themselves back up and I think the way he did that and the way we can learn from that is really looking at, at failure as an intersection and not as just a dead end it's an intersection where you can choose from that point on where you're going to go forward and sure yeah there are times at an intersection 
there's all sorts of possibilities for collision and damage but at those times of intersection it can also be a great time of change and you're able to move on and do greater and better things so hope you guys learned something special today i'm going to cut it short just because uh, we're running out of time but i hope you guys got something out of this once again, guys, go to businessbootcamppodcast.com slash episode five. You get all the show notes, any of the links, as well as ways to contact Mike, which I would highly recommend you doing. He's a great guy, and I'm sure you can learn a lot from him. All right, guys, well, I'm going to sign off here, but make sure you get on the Business Bootcamp Podcast slash apply if you have questions for us or if you'd like to come on the show. So once again, guys, thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time.